You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margaret Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is whether crisis is the only way to get results, learning from recent policy decisions on housing and environment. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, a pleasure. Good morning, Karen. Now, Margaret, this has been a big week for provincial announcements around housing. Can you tell us about what the government is doing and how we got here? Yes, it's certainly been an eventful week, and the BC government is practicing the time-honored tradition of drip-feeding positive announcements uh, on, especially this week, housing policy. Of course, we're about a year out from the next provincial election, so the timing is pretty good. And the slate of announcements actually picks up with a decision to push a significant number of secondary rental units onto the market by restricting their use as Airbnbs. And I was a little bit skeptical initially. After all, it's remarkably difficult to build new hotels uh, in cities like Vancouver and across the province. And during the pandemic, a really big chunk of low-cost hotels in urban areas were scooped up by the province to provide urgently needed housing for people experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness. And that pre-existing lack of hotels, challenges getting new ones built, and now the restrictions on short-term rentals, uh, of course, presents quite a challenge for visitors Tourism, as a result, both uh, from outside of B.C. and Canada and within our province, is expected to take a hit. But there has already been some evidence that owners of these units have begun to list them for long-term rent. So perhaps from that perspective, it wasn't a bad decision entirely. And very fortunately, it was followed by potentially the most ambitious supply-side solutions to the housing crisis that we've seen in ages. And uh, it essentially boils down to this. Uh, first of all, the province is resting control for municipalities where zoning rules, permitting practices, what you can build, where, how much of it, uh, where those haven't kept up with the needs of the 21st century. Uh, they're also tying uh, provincial funding of transit to urban density. Um, so really they're requiring increased building heights, allowable density to increase within 800 meters of rapid transit stations and 400 meters of major bus exchanges uh, as a whole blanket across um, the province, uh, most municipalities, over 5,000 residents. They're updating overall density requirements so that missing middle homes can be built. So three units minimum on smaller lots, four units on larger ones, and six units minimum on lots near bus stops with frequent service. Um, They're also legalizing and incentivizing secondary suites and laneway homes. And just this policy measure uh, combined with the one on density requirements Uh, is expected in about 10 years to result in 130,000 new homes uh, to get built. Uh, This will have a phenomenal result of getting more desperately needed housing onto the market. Um, And, of course, we've seen renewed enthusiasm on this front federally as well. Uh, Housing Minister Sean Fraser um, has really come out swinging against decades of inaction that have led to the current housing crisis. And likewise, not a moment too soon, the Conservatives in opposition have seize this opportunity to really differentiate themselves from this multi-term federal liberal government. And for a few months, it really felt like the government was kind of quiet, while Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party, was building a compelling narrative of government complacency. An entire generation, my generation, being effectively left out of the housing market through government inaction. And, you know, fortunately, the federal government, like the provincial one, has seen the writing on the wall. Um, But in B.C., in contrast to what happened federally, it wasn't the opposition B.C. United Party that appears to have pushed provincial action onto the policy agenda. Rather, the public outcry reached a fever pitch this summer. We were seeing numbers like, 
you know, $2,900 average for a one-bedroom apartment uh, to rent in Vancouver, just unprecedented uh, costs for, for renters. And, of course, amidst the post-pandemic immigration rebound, including the return of international students, the supply crunch has come to an unprecedented point. So uh, it's great that we're finally, after many decades, seeing the light on this. And what are housing experts expecting from this policy approach? There's considerable excitement and optimism, but experts also know that even if the provincial government is saying all the right things, it's not an accident that we ended up here. For decades, municipal decision makers made a choice to have it be incredibly difficult to build homes. And we can expect that the most steadfast of them will continue to lag, but fortunately the provincial government has a significant amount of power to compel change through its jurisdiction over many aspects of municipal authority. And as expected, there's been some criticism. Burnaby and Langley, for example, their mayors are concerned that the changes in rezoning are rushed. Uh, they'll you know, get into force assuming this legislation passes, which it should, uh, by June of next year without much opportunity for community discussion. But that is kind of the point. The main rationale for this approach, that issues protracted local consultation and policy debate on what should be built where, is that the mechanisms that enable widespread public input are exactly the ones that have gotten us into trouble here. The forces of no have a clear advantage when getting things built, whether it's homes or big economic projects like mines or pipelines, requires numerous public engagement steps to clear. Uh, often with arbitrary measures of community input when that's been satisfied. And the voices of those opposed to change are typically more incentivized, they're more organized and motivated because they are localized to the area where change is proposed. And they also present a more compelling political message to elected decision makers than you know, generalized voices of project supporters who usually don't live in the areas where change is being proposed. So I'm not really glad right now that the BC government has seen what this dynamic has created. They've recognized that the political incentives of play have curtailed progress on getting homes built. And sidestepping those entirely by asserting provincial jurisdiction is a bold and brave move. And it is one that is long overdue. It does seem like some degree of crisis was needed to get to this point. Would you say this is typically the case for other types of policy issues like climate change or economic performance? In short, yes. We are a country governed by layers of rules upon rules. This uh, system of policy complexity is justified handily by the demands of governing a diverse country with diverse needs and policy demands. And to accommodate it and ensure service consistency, we've built vast systems of bureaucracy to support the machinery of government. And when you do that, even if you know it makes sense, given the conditions that we're in, uh, the mandate of the civil service actually expands whether that's in a city government, a federal government, or a provincial government. It's not just about serving the public, but it's also about justifying its own existence and getting away from the immense inertia of this approach, which causes all sorts of things to go through many, many um, you know, barriers to clear um, than I think is reasonable, um, requires um, monumental force. Um, so often this challenge... Uh, does not enable good policy outcomes to come through because they get really muddled by opposition voices. And on housing, the public's frustration and outcry finally became too much to ignore. Uh, And then, of course, opposition parties, um, federally I'd say this was more evident, uh, effectively leveraged the failures of successive governments to drive to results. Um, And I think that shifted the political calculus uh, that for so long enabled nothing to happen. 
uh, in people's situation, their affordability, um, their you know living standards were really getting hit as a result of that. Um, but the real challenge in light of uh, the BC government's new approach will be maintaining the momentum of these changes. So much has gone into creating a transformative policy approach, but it's going to take considerable effort to ensure that the suite of provincial legislation doesn't only pass, but that its potential is fully realized, that we can build on, on this bold, brave vision. And there will be pushback. It's already becoming apparent that the BC United Party sees it as a worthwhile issue around which to rally the voices opposed to this change on housing policy. Um, so the BC government really needs to ensure that the voices of the yes can be leveraged and deployed to show that these sweeping changes have credible, visible public support behind them. That's really the key here. Finally, the B.C. government has also been working to deflect criticism that their clean B.C. plan will affect the province's economy. Are you persuaded? I've heard two stories, and you know they could both be true, but I think there's valuable lessons to learn from each. On one hand, I'm hearing that uh, the economic analysis of the costs of clean B.C., which are pretty pretty stark they're they're based on uh, the numbers that the government actually put out and uh, you know bcbc the business council of british columbia uh, has actually said that uh, it's about 28 billion dollars a year of impact uh, if the slate of changes under clean bc to climate and energy policy in the province goes through um there is a story that um, some of these challenges have been largely ignored or panned by media and the public, that the criticism has been uh, you know, really restricted to the business community because they're the ones to see where it leads uh, right off the bat. Um, but on the other hand, we're also hearing that this widespread anxiety within the business community has led to some real hand-wringing among the provincial cabinet um, because they're, they're seeing that uh, if this narrative continues to build, that their credibility on being good stewards of the economy could really start to take a hit. And I think both of these stories can be true. Uh, since the BC NDP made government in 2017, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that organized opposition to government policy has been scattered, occasionally, quite often, ineffectual. And I'm not just talking about you know, parties like BC United um, that don't really know what they stand for. I'm actually referring in general to any organized interests. And when the BC Liberals effectively collapsed, um, that started before the party lost government. Um, you know, there was very little holding it up uh, from an organized political perspective. They were coasting on years of having been in government, 17 years. Um, and until uh, it became apparent that they were entrenched in opposition, um, the civil society foundation of effective social, political organizing was in the process of likewise disintegrating. Um, so we're seeing something new right now. Um, this analysis that uh, economists have done that major banks are releasing, uh, saying that Clean BC could be a complete economic catastrophe, uh, wrecking much of the business case behind many of our most productive and most energy and emissions intensive industries. Um, that narrative is really starting to build. The risk factor, the the risk that the provincial government uh, is taking that will hit British Columbians in terms of lost investment, lost income, lost jobs, lost tax revenues, lost opportunity. Um, that can get communicated better and more strongly, and that could potentially really, really affect the, the BCNDP politically. Um, so in contrast to any other policy move in recent years, I feel like this one has the makings of getting enough people riled up. And the perfect storm of uh, policy momentum uh, for this proposed uh, change to be rolled back. Um, so my analysis of the path to political feasibility for housing applies here, too, if opponents of Clean BC, um, as 
you know, the changes that are proposed can present a compelling and politically damaging opposition front, they can force the VC government to roll back the plan. And in turn, if the government succeeds in discrediting the numbers, downplaying the concern, and the opposition fails to capture widespread public attention, the changes will likely stick. Uh, not to be a total pessimist, but I'm not holding my breath that good policy sense alone will carry the day. Um, so everyone here who wants to see good policy outcomes needs to do their part in creating the imperative, the political case for good policy to, to be pushed through or to uh, not have bad policy pushed through that could potentially endanger some of the things that we take for granted in our functioning, prosperous, thriving economy. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too. Have a good one.